Hello, welcome back. Episode 64 with a little bit of new music there for the intro just to keep you on your toes and to keep me on my toes and just to change things up and refresh things up a little bit. Um, somebody did note to me recently that um, on the um, Apple iTunes, uh, the photo of me is an old one, one that I'd put on originally. On other forms of streaming, SoundCloud, etc., it's all the new pictures. Um, I'm going to try and get that updated just to say that anyway. So we're going to get that updated soon as. Back in the swing of things. So episode 64. Um, this is an episode I recorded a couple of weeks ago at the Southbank Centre with the marvellous Mr Nicholas McInerney. Um, Nicholas, along with uh, the author David Ladane, who we talk about in the podcast, um, have founded a podcast entitled Rainbow Dads. Now I'm going to uh, just give you the description here. Extraordinary stories from gay and bi dads, including an arranged marriage, an evangelical upbringing, a deep affinity with Bowie. The stories are raw, honest, funny and bittersweet memories of family, fatherhood and of self-acceptance. And they're, um, they're six one-hour episodes so far, anyway. Um, and uh, and we do talk about possibilities of other things. But anyway, I'll let Nicholas explain that all in the podcast. But um, a joy to talk to. Um, they're very funny and moving and extremely interesting. And I think all listeners to this podcast will definitely want to jump in on that one. Um, and I think it will appeal across the board... Um, to all humans and Nicholas really was a joy to chat to um, as you're here and I recommend that when you finish listening to us chatting and going and listening to the music I've recommended and perhaps watching a film that I've recommended um, that you go and uh, listen to uh, Rainbow Dads and subscribe um, and spread the word because it really is a strong podcast and I feel very honoured to have chatted to Nicholas about such a strong podcast so go and check it out when you're finished with us here anyway meanwhile back in planet 40 something <laughs> still say 40 something but we will continue to do so for the time being uh, my recommends this week uh, firstly is an album by um Goldwash, who, as far as I can tell, is a singular, is, is he's singular, he's a solo artist, um, works and collaborates with people. Um, I've not been able to find a huge amount. There are links to Bandcamp and Spotify and Apple Music and etc, etc, but there isn't a huge amount of history about him, them. I'm going to say him for now. Um, the album, anyway, is entitled Flat Earth Surf Club. Uh, so that's Goldwash, Flat Earth Surf Club. And I think if you like Jamie Woon, who I've talked about ad infinitum on this podcast over the, the episodes, um, he's a little bit like him, perhaps a tinge of James Blake, um, and perhaps a small dash of of yacht rock, shall we say. Um, Apple Music describe it as alternative um However, whatever it is, there's some beautiful, beautiful songs in it and music that I always kind of think of as sunset and cocktail music. Um, it's not lounge music at all, but that's just my version. That's where I'd like to listen to this album in a perfect world. Um, and I will attempt to do that perhaps in January. Anyway, that's another story. Um, 
like the opening track, My Own Devices, is is a prime example. And there's another beautiful song. They're all beautiful songs, but another one of my favourites is a track called Over Again. Um, and, uh, and then there's a track called That Buzz, which is basically sunshine and warmth personified in a track. So jump in and listen to that. Definitely one of my strong recommends. Um, uh, yep, yeah, go and check that out. And secondly... Um, is the Netflix movie El Camino. Now, no spoilers given here, hopefully, ever. Um, but as long as a long-time fan of Breaking Bad, this really delivered everything I could have ever wanted from a continuing storyline. Aaron Paul um, is superb as Jesse Pinkman. Um, everyone involved is superb. I'm going to say no more. Um, the writing is brilliant and uh, the cinematography is beautiful and uh, yeah, I, I, 100%. Um, I'd suggest if you haven't seen Breaking Bad or if you haven't yet finished Breaking Bad, why haven't you? Can't imagine why any human wouldn't have done that. Uh, go and watch the series first. I mean, I laughed a lot. Um, I was definitely on the edge of my seat a few times um, and I got quite choked up. But I'm going to say no more because we don't do spoilers if we can help it. Um, just to give you, a, yeah, I've been super busy again, um, but I've managed to uh, get this ready to put out to the world. Um, there will be others coming up soon. I'm hoping to get a few out before um, I head off to do my Christmas job, Panto. Really looking forward to that, but um, hopefully get a few in before then and maybe some whilst I'm there. I'm hoping to do that again, um, almost like I did last year. Um, I spent the last couple of days filming something, but... I've signed an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't say what it is. Uh, when it's out into the world, I'll let you know, but it was lots of fun. Um, I'm enjoying not uh, having makeup on today. Um, I'll say that much. Anyway, <laughs> all will be revealed in good time. But anyway, it is time to jump over and meet the wonderful Mr. Nicholas McInerney. So Nicholas, thank you so much for spending some time sitting You're down with me today. You're very welcome, yeah. Um, Rainbow, Rainbow Dad's podcast. Um, so you're a playwright and lecturer. What do you yes, so I'm you more of a lecturer than a playwright at the moment. As can um, happen. But I've had periods in my life where I've made my living, and a good living, exclusively through, through writing. I have, I guess, around 80 professional credits. I wrote for The Bill for quite a long time. I was one of yes. their lead writers. I wrote 30 episodes of The Bill, which was a fantastic training. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've written a lot of radio drama, which is obviously appropriate for this, but yeah. is a medium I like very much. Yeah. And of course, in radio drama, you get to work with some really, really good people. Absolutely. Yeah, because they're in for a day and you get to work with Andrew Sachs or Anton Lesser or Saskia Reeves, you know, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's a real thrill. Uh, and I've also had about... 15 stage plays produced, so a reasonable mix. I've had a couple of films commissioned, none of them produced, well, but that's, uh, a very again, a very common experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the writing, and, and then I do a lot of teaching and creative writing. I advise something on their, on their Huffington Post, a friend of mine. Um, oh, okay. I, I do a lot of kind of consultancy, kind of yeah. individual, or I run, um, you know, and, and I have also done some educational corporate stuff, very interesting you know, where to make a dollar. Made, exactly, where you make the bucks. Absolutely. Um, and is there is there anything coming as far as your... Oh, um, that's interesting. Radio, I, just because it's always... Radio, I'm adapting Colette's Break of Day. Yes. Um, 
which will be coming out next year. Um, I've also been working on a Bible for a police procedural, yes. which is always interesting yeah. for a small independent company. And I've been revising a play that I very much would like to get produced called Lazy Eye, which is I'm working with a, a director called Claire Evans, who directed a play of mine called Bellefontaine at Waterloo East. At the Bolts Festival, yes. which we were just talking yes, about. Yes, we were just talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so which do you, kind of as a, as a medium, just as we're on that, yeah. do you prefer, do you have a preference for writing a film for stage uh, or for radio? You know, you know the answer to that. Um, applause is the most addictive yeah, drug of yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Applause is the most addictive drug of all. I mean, you're a performer, so yeah. I, you know, I write the words, I give the words to you. I then have to take that step back. I'm always very thrilled and excited by what the performer or the director or the designer brings to it. And then the lights darken and um, you're in a boxy little room or a boxy big room and there's some guys, women and men downstairs who put paint on their face to create this illusion and when it works in the theatre it works better than any medium of all and then you get that fantastic response and of course as you well know being in a show it differs from night to night and yeah. you can sense the energy can't you in a yeah. space uh, have you ever acted yourself i have that? very badly <laughs> i i have a very good friend who's who's a dear friend a great writer called lucinda coxon who did the um script for the danish girl the oh, film wow. for the Danish yeah, yeah, Girl yeah, yeah. and has done a number of other, other adaptations. He directed me in a play called Kennedy's Children by Robert Patrick, which was a series of monologues set around back in the, I guess, in the late in the late sixties, early sixties, yeah. when he was assassinated. Sure. Um, uh, I feel a bit self, overly self-conscious when I when I'm on stage. Um, I don't have quite that that kind of need for attention <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but i love working with actors and as you grow older what i particularly like is the the the, the, the depth of life experience actors bring um I think that there's a lot of attention paid to people at the beginning of their careers. I've yeah. always had this big thing that actually, do you know what? Everybody's obsessed with finding the next new voice. But what about writers and actors in mid-career who've had some experience of life, who've got so much to offer? Oh, absolutely, because yeah. it changes so yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, even as a writer, I'm sure, in whatever uh, art form you're working within, life can only add to yes. enrich it, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean going through this experience, coming out at mid, mid-life, yeah. going through a divorce, which was very painful, yeah. teaches you. Uh, and then, of course, I'm now at the stage where I have friends who are, who've died, dear friends who've died. And of course, you know, it, it, there's a, you take a lot from that mm-hmm. um, and you can bring that to your work. So, you know, it's, you go out into the arts and sometimes I feel there is this obsession with young audiences, getting young people, and I get all of that. Oh, yeah. But actually, you know, for example, I went to see Master Harold and the Boys at Old Fugard at the National, and it's a place set in South Africa in the 1950s, and the key relationship between a young teenager and two black uh, servants, servants, two black employees. Yeah. Uh, um, and the, the betrayal in that has a different resonance for somebody who's lived through not similar experiences but understands something of that dynamic yeah. and that only comes with age I think. yeah and absolutely I, you just have a voice that I feel is <laughs> I mean obviously when I was listening to the podcast your voice right. is super strong and I just feel like he must have been an actor at some point well somebody very kindly <laughs> said I looked and sounded a bit like Nigel Hawthorne 
Well, Jeremy yes. Irons is the other one. Jeremy Irons or oh, Alan Rickman. No, oh. or Alan Rickman. Actually, and do you know what? Jeremy I'm, Irons, Alan Rickman. I'm Alan very, very Rickman. flattered to be compared to Alan Rickman. Alan, Alan Rickman. Rickman. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who sounds like, from all, from all accounts, not only was he a fantastic actor, but a fantastic human being. Yeah. You know, um, so that's very flattering. No, absolutely. Massive yeah. compliment. But yes, great voice. Um, so just to, to go back to, to you, yeah. um, so you came out um, either 10 or 12 years ago? I sort of got um, I came, I'm 58 now, so I came out at 45. So okay. 12, 12, 12 years 12. ago. Yeah. 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 And, um, and, and it, the process of, when I say came out, I suppose I date that to telling my children I'd been out to my, out to my uh, ex-wife for longer than that. We'd been together 25 years, married for nearly 20. We met at university. Yeah. And um, uh, even when I got married, I wrote, I remember writing a letter to her saying I thought I was bisexual. And the, the priest who married us asked me whether I'd ever had any same-sex relationships. Oh, really? And I was, yeah. Yeah, he's gay himself, so... <laughs> so I think he. I think he. Um, where would the Anglican Church be without? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> without uh, without their gay priest. But he. I think he intuited then. Not that there was a conflict, but it was something that needed to be looked at or, or spoken about. So, and for the first, you know, you know, when I got when we got married, I was twenty eight. We had children. I was thirty. My first daughter was born when I was thirty. Yeah. I wasn't. I, I, I'm not one of those stories of somebody who was desperately seeking kind of male-to-male contact and having kind of illicit moments. I didn't, it, that didn't, that wasn't my story at all. In fact, my, I would say my wife and I had a very good sex life, actually. And I loved being a dad. I loved bringing up kids. So there was lots to compensate. Mm. It's when I, when the children hit the teenage years, classic, isn't it? Start moving away, start wanting their dependence. Mm. And suddenly you're, you're sitting at a breakfast table looking at the person with whom you have just, you know, spent 24-7 bringing up kids, thinking, where, where do we go mm-hmm. from here? And I think that's when these ideas, this, this, this notion of my sexuality became, became much more prominent, I think, much mm-hmm. more pressing. And at the time, I, there's a couple of things that we did. I... Um, my wife and I decided that we would do some personal development stuff, and so we did a course in Tantra. Now, I don't know what you know about Tantra, what you know anecdotally. You know, I know Sting's the... Sting, yes, exactly. <laughs> Everybody says Sting. Everybody says, you know, um, you know um, is it two-hour orgasms or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's much more interesting. It's a kind of exploration of the idea of the energies in your body. It uses... It has a belief system. Belief system. It has a system around shak- uh, the shak- um, mm-hmm. Shack, the energy sources. Um, I'm trying to. If it's Shack, I can't remember exactly what they're called now. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it has this idea, and it's an attempt to kind of unite both your sexuality with your spirituality. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is an idea that when you express yourself sexually, you are connected to a force that's bigger than yourself. It's very powerful, and it, it, it plays around with the feminine and masculine principle. But the feminine principle is energy mm. and the masculine principle is consciousness, which stereotypically you might assume is the other way around. Yeah. So me and, me and my wife went and along with another group, we, we went and did a year's training in this and did some mad and wonderful things. And that kind of 
gave us a space in which to explore a few things and for me to be a bit more honest about my same-sex desires. Yeah. And then the other thing is that um, in 2004, I went to an extraordinary festival in the States called Burning Man. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that is... Uh, people ask me, what is it? And I say, well, it's an experiment in utopia, but like every experiment in utopia, there has to be a dystopian element to it. Mm. So it, it is, it's a tabula rasa. It's a place where you go take all of your issues out of the desert, out of this punishing environment, which is full of art and music and naked people and incredibly sexy naked people and an erotic energy I've never experienced right. anywhere else. And it asks you the question, if you could do anything you want but be responsible for it, what would you do? Because it, allow, it allows people to explore in that context. Mm very interesting so that was also part of my coming out I went for the first year and I was just totally overwhelmed I thought oh I'm going to have a few same sex encounters yeah. and find out who I am I didn't I cowered in my tent for most of the time second time right. I went I went off like a rocket but only because I think I I had an understanding of what the festival was about it is overwhelming so yeah, those I've, two I've, things I've heard together, it, yeah. it's, 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 I've been seven times. So oh, wow. I do, I, you know, I took my daughter twice. I've taken partners. It's an extraordinary, I've made deep friendships, deep friendships from that right. experience, you know, and so. And I guess you're meeting people from across the board. Yes, you are. Like to begin with, when you're out there, you're, it's, it's, very, it's a very American festival. Yeah. You know, the burning of the man is a very American thing. They're obsessed with fire. Yeah. But it's, what, how would American, it's American spirit at its best. Uh -huh. You know how Americans have this unique capacity. Every, they seem to all be born with a kind of engineering chip in their brain. <laughs> so if you have a problem, not only will they help you solve it, build a shade structure or, or, or create a kitchen mm -hmm. but then they will help you do it as well yeah. so it's this wonderful kind of generosity of spirit allied to this kind of frontiers mentality yeah, 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 yeah. bit bit blade runner bit mad max you know my husband's from the u.s and i wish we would sometime uh california right um fresno california yeah, yes <laughs> central valley but i love <laughs> uh, san, and also gave me a chance san francisco is now a city i probably know best after London, yeah. I mean, I have, I now have, after seven times, I now have the restaurants I visit sure. and, 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 and the places I hang out. I've got friends I can go and stay. Um, San Francisco's a, oh, I mean, for me, that was a place where I kind of, it was my burning man. It was my, yes. okay, this is, I can be, it, it's very different to being a gay man in London. At that time, 1999, I suppose, when I was there, first time, it felt like a very different world. Very freeing. As you walk down the street holding hands with well, your partner. That, yeah. Which, you know, I, I mean, I do do over here, but I still, like, I mean, I feel safer in certain, and I'm quite an, a brazen person, actually, but certainly my husband is, is slightly more cautious than me. No, I'm, I'm the same, sadly. I do have to check where I am. And... It's that wonderful, amazing panty bliss, yeah, Dublin, which I think is a speech that will be studied as a brilliant piece of rhetoric. As oh, a yeah. writer, as a performer, you must look at that thing. Hi, George, right. that's good. But her key, her key theory that we all check ourselves and say so we internalise that oppression is absolutely on the money, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, um, 
amazing moving and and if you haven't seen it please go please go see it panty bliss um abbey theater Theater. and watch it not just for what it says but the the way in which it's constructed it's a beautiful piece of rhetoric wonderful i'm going glad Hey, <laughs> it's good to hear other people listening to it because sometimes I refer to it and people don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. And like gay people, I just thought she was instrumental in, in, in the campaign to get the, the referendum to yeah. get uh, gay marriage uh, made legal in, in Ireland and it as worked. well. It yeah, it did. Um, so, sorry, jumping yes. back to your podcast, of course. Um, so, you and David Ladane, um, who's an author, he is um, yes, gay dad. Yes, absolutely. how did you? How did you first okay. get together? What was the situation? So, somebody once said, it's really interesting, I'm of an age, I'm 58, so I was a f- punk boy in 1976. And punk, there was a very famous magazine called Sniffing Glue, and it said, oh, right. it, said, it, said it said, buy a guitar, learn three chords, form a band. <laughs> that was the punk spirit. Somebody said to me recently, uh, a woman called Sarah Golding, who does a lot of podcasts, she said, podcasts are the punk of radio. And there's something about that. There's something about the way in which you can just oh, absolutely, yeah. and just go out and make it, do it. And it's very oh, democratising. It's very, that. you know, and hopefully there'll be an audience out there. Mm. I'd never done anything like this. I'd done loads of radio drama. I'd been on a good read. I'd done mm. interviews. I'd done Woman's Hour. But I'd never done anything like this. So I was approached by a friend called Richard Shannon, who runs the MA in radio production at Goldsmiths. And he was was kind of going through this process himself, but at an earlier stage. And he said, wouldn't it be brilliant or could we not create a podcast in which we could address stories of gay and bi dads and this whole process? Mm. And I was very open to the idea. Um, And so we asked for relevant dads via a site on Facebook. Facebook has been very helpful. Gay Dads UK. And a very good friend of mine called David Chalmers um, was another gay dad uh, who helped me, introduce me. And I just put out a, a, a kind of shout-out, basically, saying, hello, guys, this is what I'm hoping to do. Would you be interested? And about five or six guys replied. I then had to nail down two dates. I had two weekends back in April. And I then again put it out there and I said, you know, can you make these two dates? Ideally, I would like you all to be at both events because obviously that, that, that allows for continuity. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to get my marvellous gay dads. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and, and so we met for the very first time at the beginning of that first In the studio. In the studio, yes. Right. You know, nervously drinking tea and scoffing custard creams and and just, you know, basically introducing ourselves. I, prior to that, Richard and I sat down and very roughly decided on a a narrative to run through all the podcasts. We were thinking like, he's a playwright as well, we were thinking like writers. Yeah, we wanted to create a narrative that would address a particular section of these guys' experiences into five chunks, but ending on a positive outcome. That was really, Mm. really important. There's a lot of literature out there, which is very, obviously, understandably, very um, angst-ridden and traumatised about this whole process. Are the guys trying to come out caught up in terrible divorces and split ups. I'm making no judgment about behaviour. I think some of my behaviour during the time I was coming out, particularly with my children, we can talk about that, the split up 
was pretty terrible at times in the way that in order to live a truly authentic life or at least to understand what authenticity might mean for you you have to break a few eggs don't you you have to push forward and occasionally be quite selfish mm-hmm. um, and and so we decided that we had to kind of create these five areas to allow our gay and by dads to talk about that whole journey and and in particular to bring you know their individual experience you know uh, deep had uh, an arranged marriage um, I'd never come across somebody like that before no. not even in a straight world I got friends I got a very, very good friend who married a, a Sikh and I went to their wedding I went to a Sikh wedding fantastic amazing but it was they were two people who met at university yeah. so I had no experience no cultural experience of that and that of course is both interesting and challenging because mm-hmm. you know an arranged marriage isn't any necessarily any less happy than any other kind of marriage so that was really interesting um, we had somebody else Alex who came from an evangelical background yeah, yeah. I could relate to that a wee bit because I'd been to a school that was quite religious and, you know, I was, you know, even if you're atheistic or agnostic, we're kind of culturally Christian, you know. Mm. There is, they're, 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 they're those things that, that still factor in. And um, I, I think in some respects his experience is even more kind of jaw-dropping because the man should have been sexless. You know, his sense of self-worth was really tied up with the church yeah. and being part of that community. And that touches on what I think is one of the core issues. We're all look, all of us in our lives are looking for our tribe, aren't we? We're looking for our family. And I think as gay and bisexual men, you know, as LGBT, we often move beyond our <laughs> family. So this, this is an example Speaking of, of family. <laughs> <laughs> we often move beyond, we have to move beyond our biological family in order to find our family of choice yeah yeah Yeah? so underlying I think all of these separate kind of moments these interviews was this notion of will I be able to find my family what does that mean what would that look like and I think that's particularly um, particularly uh, difficult if you've been in a family if you've had children you've had a marriage you've had that security because you're throwing that on the ground and breaking that and then trying to put the pieces back together again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And I think that's a huge need that we have as human beings. We are... uh, My ex-wife was a psychologist, was a big fan of a psychologist called Adler who believed that our primary motivation was social. Not spiritual like Jung or sexual like Freud, but social. And I think... I don't know what your experience is in, in your coming out story, but the sense of moving away from security, from what you know, from comfort, from uh, uh, a sense of understanding how your future might might proceed to a world where there is absolutely none of that whatsoever mm. is pretty terrifying at times. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. I, I mean, I've, I found my, my tribe, my family, I've been, I've, I get compared to Anna Madrigal. Okay. As the of our nice. group, I don't smoke quite as much marijuana as she does, um, but uh, but just uh, yeah, the, there is something about 
um, I've become kind of, I was discussing this on a podcast yesterday, uh, I've become matriarchal, possibly. Right. Um, uh, not that I feel that I need to become, I, it's nothing, I, have a, I don't have any gender concerns or confusion. Um, but I know I've taken on that role in our group. But, it, but it's also possibly because you have a quality of nurturing as well. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, and I, I get that because I, my partner is my husband's 15 years younger than me. Right. And there are times and I, how could it not? I've had two children. Your, your kind of parenting skills kind of kick in. Right, yeah. And I think also in the gay community, there's a lot of people who need a bit of parenting. Mm. Oh, you know, absolutely. Um, and need need the the sense of continuity and reliability that a mother figure that's i think that's what it is it's a not mother it's such a mother it's, it's it's the reliability of yeah. one person within a group and and i know that, that group is kind of people come and go and but but reliable when things are going wrong with the biological family sickness and yes that you can go back to that family and they're the ones you can ask for help or vice versa but yeah, yeah. interesting that you should yeah because this has just been a thing this week that's been right. talked about a lot. Um, anyway, goodness me. Um, so you've recorded six? One we recorded episode. six, um, and um, uh, we recorded a seventh, which is my diary, which we will be putting up at some point. Because okay. uh, I kept a diary when I was coming out, and it's quite... Um, Could you begin every episode with... I, we're going to... A, a little extract, just to kind of set the mood. And I, look, I wrote 500 pages of this diary, and of course wow. I look back at it now... And I'm kind of slightly intrigued, fascinated and horrified by who I was and what I said. Some of it's quite explicit, as indeed it has to be, because, you know, for example, one of the things I did say to the guys was, you know, we are going to be talking about sex, because this is such, our sexual sexual lives, how we express ourselves sexually, is so important to understanding of ourselves as gay or bisexual men. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, And... uh, and there's something freeing about being able to talk about it as well. That's another interesting thing about podcasts. You don't have kind of producer's guidelines telling you... The, the emphasis is really on you to make those decisions about yeah. your audience and what you... And, and if there is a boundary or if there is a line or if there is something that yeah. you... Yeah, it's down you to know. you to decide yeah. 18 yeah. plus or... Yeah, absolutely. Or so. Yeah, no. Um, so, um, so, the, uh, so that's the seventh one which we're going to be putting up. But mm-hmm. we mainly, in the sixth, we've kind of gone through kind of growing up mm. we talk about day zero the marriage actually I wanted one just on the marriage day because you know the point is that I don't regard my relationship with my ex-wife as a failure because we had two wonderful children yeah. I certainly there's certainly things I regret about my behaviour there's certain things particularly towards the end there's certainly things that you know I, I wish I you know I had a terrible sense of knowing that it was over but somehow thinking I could still that terrible phrase, have my cake and eat it. Right. I know. And so there's that's one episode. There's the idea, fascinating, the idea of does coming out actually solve everything? Of course it bloody doesn't. Mm-hmm. I had a very good friend called Jaden Clark, a very talented writer on the bill. And one of the key moments for me was when she sat me down at lunch and she said something like, um, uh, Nicholas, I read your bill scripts and there's nothing of you in them. Where are you? And I suddenly thought, oh my goodness. I, w- I wanted to become a writer, you're an actor, in order to be able to, everything I do, to be able to feel there's a little bit of myself that's being expressed here. And yet she's right, and I think I'd repressed all of that along with my 
sexuality. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you know, I came out bells and whistles and kind of fanfares and, you know, the whole shebang, you know, the full Monty. And she, then she said to me, well, darling, you do know that coming out doesn't solve everything. And there is a tendency, I think, for people like myself and my journey to think, oh, my God, if I just do this, mm. everything else will just fall into place. And, of course, it doesn't, you know. Um, uh, so that's an episode that we look at. Yeah. And then gradually towards the end, we look at how to, to go out into the world. We look at the sweetie, kit, the sweetie shop syndrome and then how to create, create a narrative, to create a narrative, become more lovable, mm-hmm. you know, create a world in which When you, you say sweetie shop syndrome. Well, s- sex and exploring what is it to be gay in 2019, you know, and, um, you know, there's an obsession with what we do in the bedroom, isn't there? Oh, it's interesting yeah. by people who people are homophobic. They're completely oh. obsessed. My my take is that, you know, and I've is that actually in terms of relationships, in terms of long term relationships, committed relationships, there are people up and down the up and down the country, whether they're gay or straight or whatever, mm. who are negotiating different kinds of relationships mm. some are, incredi- are are very monogamous some have you know touches of an open relationship some are much more open but there are people who love each other who want to stay together but also re- re- crave or want other things and they're trying I, I believe a lot of people are, are trying with goodwill to make those relationships work. That's one of the most fascinating things. As soon as I came out, suddenly I had all my straight friends talking about their marriage problems or, you know, the fact right. that they had an affair with somebody in a hotel room. Okay. Three, you know, oh, all of that. Really interesting. interesting that... And I suppose I was kind of a safe space. And also, we were talking earlier a little bit about the wisdom you acquire from a big experience like a divorce. You're just kind of humbled by that. Mm. I found that I was so much less judgmental of other people's behaviour because I was less judgmental of my own and mm. I was asking other people to be more understanding. Mm. And that's another little thing is that the things that always get to you are the kindnesses, aren't they? When you're going through a shitty time and someone's kind to you, that's when you burst into tears. Mm. Mm-hmm. You, develop, oh, you develop a way of dealing with the, the, the kind of slings and arrows, don't you? But suddenly there's a sudden little chink of light, a sudden bat squeak of kindness. It's and a literally, yeah. yeah. And it's that whole process of men of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Mm. I mean, which you hear in your podcast, yeah. the, the honesty and, and then the kind of um, uh, real strong emotion and then apologizing to you. Yeah. It's, it's funny that we do that. That's a very, straight. very, yeah, that's a very, very typical male response. Maybe isn't very, it? also maybe British. British, I would, say, I would say there's an element of class in there as well. Yeah. As a nice, you know, nice normal middle class boy, I feel I apologise yeah. my, my, for myself a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. But I think the ability to be vulnerable is, is, is a huge step forward. Oh, yeah. But. It's it can be very overwhelming. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. Um, and moving from strangely enough, let's give you one example: moving yeah. from a straight world to a to a gay world. The gay men are terribly bad at taking compliments. Have you noticed? I don't know if you noticed that. 
it's so typically yeah, in a marriage, you yeah. would, I mean, say to your partner, you look lovely, your hair looks lovely, your dress looks yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. But just meet a guy and you say, goodness me, you're handsome, or that shirt looks really nice on you. There's a real resistance to that. Uh, Why is, do you, do you, have you come across that? I've yeah, really yeah. noticed now that. Now you're saying it, I'm thinking... Yeah, and actually, the, the, I tell you what you can do. You can look on a you can look on a, a hookup app yeah. and make really explicit comments about somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, to meet them socially and say, "Gosh, yeah, you look yeah, like you've yeah, lost yeah, some yeah. weight. You look really good." Is much it seems to be much more problematic. It doesn't really. It doesn't really happen. I'm not saying that my um, gay male friends aren't nice people, but I know we don't really have that occasionally. But now you've said it, I hadn't really thought about it until now that. We don't do that as much. Certainly with my female friends. Yeah. There's no problem. All the time you're saying, great, babes, you're looking great. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> maybe it's yeah. because we're concerned. Maybe it's a male, I don't know, maybe it's a masculine female thing. I don't know, but I've something that I've really, really noticed, you know. I wonder if there's a concern that you, if you compliment that you're crossing a line or... Well, this is interesting because I think... I think the, the gay, I think as gay men with straight women, we can say some quite flirty personal oh, things yeah, 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 yeah. Um, to compliment them, mm-hmm. and there's no agenda. Mm-hmm. I think in the gay world, I think I, my personal feeling is there needs to be more uh, unsexual flirtation, that there needs mm-hmm. to be more mm-hmm. that compliment mm-hmm. without there having to be some kind of, I want to get my hands down your pants. And in the gay world, everything goes from 0 to 60, everything goes from hello to, to talking about sex. Yeah like that oh, yeah, and that, yeah. that, that that is a real problem I think no I think I think it is a problem actually um, wow God, you've, you've opened up a whole kind of, <laughs> so, another podcast so of course us. straight guys that's a, that, that would be an interesting point so straight guys coming from that world into the gay world we've got to negotiate that yeah, you know, yeah. but at the same time of course you know if you've not you know if there's lots of sexual things that you want to explore and you're meeting lots of guys who apparently seem to be really interested in you there's a tendency to want to gorge yourself sick you know mm-hmm. um, and we've all been there you know and in a sense it's something you have to get out of your system I think so but right at the end of the, the podcast we look towards the future mm. and we do try and um, uh, 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 and challenge ourselves and our listeners to be kinder to ourselves mm. because as Blanche said you know as Blanche said I've always relied on the kindness of strangers oh, yes. As you get older, sense of humour and kindness matter more and oh, more and more. Yeah, and especially the way the world is, everybody needs to do a little bit more of that generally. Yes, I um, agree. Yeah. <laughs> and mindfulness, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, so, so David was, was he... Because it's sort of it's, it's because David, David has, has written has about co- it, yes, uh, right. Because he's co- written about it, he he uh, he's been very very helpful yeah. in, in kind of um, certainly, for example, the pub, yeah. pub, I, I lent on him for the kind of publicity. He seemed to have access to that. Sure, he's published some books. Yeah, um, um, probably nice to give them a plug at some yes, point. Yes, we can add. I can we add, can add that. Brilliant. Yeah. Add the links. That'd be super. And um, so he. He's been really helpful. Also, he's a huge David Bowie fan, so of course, yes. as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy to do an entire podcast on teenage. Oh, and you, I think you're he's, also, he's, yeah. Yeah. David, but when I was, a, I was at a boarding school in the 70s, and Bowie was like, you know, he was like God, I suppose. Mind yeah. there were lots of others who were as well, but him in particular, and I think his androgyny, his ambiguity really 
really spoke to us. You know, he was... It's the whole thing of being a bit of an outsider, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And sort of standing on the outside looking in. And he seemed to make that completely OK. Not just OK, but actually really rather wonderful. It was interesting that David commented on that on the podcast. Yes. And uh, it actually like, really resonated with me. I mean, obviously, it's sort yeah. of a... Not a generation on, but another decade on. I For me, it was... Uh, Boy George. Yes. Even though he wasn't sort of initially taught, he said that he preferred a cup of tea to sex and all that stuff. It was pretty obvious. Yes. And and for me at school, becoming uh, a fan of androgyny was a way to be sort of out without being out. And that was so funny to hear. And obviously Bowie's... You know, at university, I said, Bowie's the only man I would sleep with. You know, that was my uh, yeah, little right. way of dipping my toe into the water. Yeah. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that's there yeah. for a lot of people. Yes. Um, yeah, we were just saying about the podcast always starts with one of your diary entries. Yes. And we've now got, you're saying, a, a whole podcast. There will be a, a... Number seven will be, uh, will be half an hour of my diary. And it will kind of... It's kind of selected at its just kind of going through, touching on some of those key moments, particularly, for example, the moment I came out to my children, which um, was the most, I think, my single most difficult thing in the whole journey for me. And this was after coming back from This is after Burning Man, coming back, and, you know, for a while, myself and my ex-wife thought that we could kind of accommodate my need for for same-sex contact within the marriage. There was a fascinating website I joined, an American website of course, called Closed Loop. This idea in America that um, uh, a a couple, if he needed same-sex contact with the wife's permission, he could effectively have a boyfriend. Right. Uh, But there were certain rules that applied to that. It was called the Closed Loop and I joined this site. It's very American. Mm -hmm. Americans have this wonderful way of, of looking at a problem it's not a, nothing's ever a problem, it's a challenge and it's, it, there's an answer out there. Yeah. And um, it was very interesting. For a while, I thought possibly we could do this mm. over here. And I did meet a couple of guys and have a kind of sort of relationship with uh, one for a while. But it was always a transitional stage, I think, if I'm absolutely honest. Mm-hmm. And um, I was... I had my seeing a psychotherapist and I remember saying to her, she said to me, what do you want? And I said, I want... I, I want a man to fall in love with me and make impossible demands. You know, there's, right. a, sense, there's a sense in our lives in which we, are, we get caught up in a role that we play and then we start to feel maybe this is slightly constrained, we chafe at it a bit, but most of the time we don't do enough to break free of that mm. unless something happens that is so overwhelming that it's unavoidable and, you know... Um, Death is obviously one example, you know, uh, but falling in love is the other example, isn't it? You know, and I would have conversations with straight friends who were in marriages and kind of wanting an adventure but not wanting to do anything about it. Oh, if I meet somebody at an office party and she drags me into the broom cupboard, that would be fine. And I suppose it's also a way of not taking responsibility for our actions. Mm -hmm. I've fallen in love. I didn't do anything wrong, I just fell in love. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, for me, and maybe for you know, these other gay men, because they were all in relationships and we had connections and responsibility, mm-hmm. we really had to take responsibility for our actions because what we were doing was 
was breaking something up, mm, mm. smashing it on the ground in order to try and remake it and find out if that was who we really were. I mean, I think it's brilliant that you've... I mean, this is something I was going to ask you, actually. Your audience, you know, who you think... Who you feel your... Um, who, you, who you want to address. Yes. I mean, and you, earlier you were saying, obviously, people like yourselves, but I think it's also really important for people older and younger and same age to be hearing another version of LGBT yes. coming think, out and because it's it, yeah. well I mean obviously now yes. it's, it's easier for, for, for a male couple to, to, to have children in the relationship but Absolutely. I think we don't think about it enough and I think it's wonderful that there's now a place for people who are like yourself and, and, and people like me who want to hear these yeah. stories. I mean, I volunteer for Switchboard. Right. Yeah, and I get a lot of calls. Particularly people who are older, say over 45, 50, mm. one, of the main, one of the main calls is around social isolation and loneliness. And, of course, if you don't have access to the internet, which, astonishingly, if you're in the middle of Wales... Sorry, I don't mean to curse... I don't mean to diss Wales, but you know, I'm picking that as an example. If you're in the middle of Wales or Scotland... You don't have access to the internet. You may as well not exist. Mm. So our audience is three. It's absolutely it's 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 guys who are in this position, who I think will binge on these. This is yeah. why we put them all out together. And maybe we won't get to hear from them, but it would be lovely if some of them wanted to get in contact. Yeah. I think we've been surprised. A lot of um, straight women have found it very interesting mm. to listen to. I think it gains them an insight into male, I don't know, male sexuality. You know the things that um, the, the things that that, that 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 preoccupy us in a relationship. Yeah. Um, but finally, and this is the thing I'm really interested in. I'm really interested, you know, having been in one relation kind of relationship and now in a different kind of relationship. Mm. You know, but I'm married. I'm very interested in the idea of long-term relationships, committed relationships. What does that mean in 2019? Mm. You know, when I went to Burning Man, one of the friends I made was a chap who was in a polyamorous relationship uh -huh. I don't know whether you yeah, yeah and there's a famous book called The Ethical Slut it's such a great title right by I... Dossie Eason <laughs> about the idea of non-monogamous relationships mm. I found that all of those other versions mm. interesting and of course the gay world, gay world is full of oh, yeah. good and bad so I think that I'm hoping that this just contributes a little bit towards debate and 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 people finding it echoes of their own experience yeah. but always as i said with a view to looking to how to make that experience positive uh, an expansive one yeah yeah um and that's your final episode. yeah that's the final episode yeah, yeah. i'm I, I can't wait to hear that one do you find actually reading back reading out loud and hearing yourself how do you find that is that do you find, are you, does it sit comfortably with you kind of going back that far and then I mean it's okay sitting literally reading it on paper but reading it out loud knowing that this is going to go to a it's really interesting I think I think that when you look at a diary that you wrote 10 years ago anything that you wrote 10 years ago is a there's a terrible tendency to want to change stuff mm. and mm -hmm. to go oh my god Oh, it's complete and I'm a wanker here. Yeah. Maybe if I change this a wee bit, I'll come across. But I think it's important to try and resist that because you have to be, you, you write to the moment and you have to be true in that time. And I think the bravery, if there is bravery, lies in allowing it just to sit there and other people to make 
those judgments. Reading it out is fascinating. You've been very kind about my voice. Of course, I hated, hated hearing myself. Oh, really? Because yeah. I have that... It's not something I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it, listening to it again, I've sort of... Not quite Charlotte Green, but I, you know, <laughs> I get a little bit more used to it. And yeah. I certainly really enjoyed the interviewing process, mm. allowing the other guys to talk and then just picking up. It's always about a key word, isn't it? Or a key phrase. Because we reveal ourselves through the words that we choose, yeah. um, both good and bad. And it's always great. An interviewer's job is to pick up on those and just to push those slightly. Yeah. And implicitly to invite your interviewees to tell you just that little bit more get to that point that's really really interesting i think you make them you made them all very comfortable everybody sounds i mean how much warm-up did so did you go in and you kind of go right okay we know the background we've spoken on the phone yeah did you have kind of a i did speak to them all on the phone yeah obviously because i think that's good sure. practice but i did yeah. I did also say I'm not going to provide any questions. We're just gonna, just going to uh, go with this. Yeah. And I met them on the day. It was a, I'm trying to, I think it was a Sunday. It was yeah. very quiet at Goldsmiths, and I think that helped. Yeah. So we had the whole place for ourselves, and it's rather a lovely campus. Yeah, yeah. And we were inside this very professional studio, you know. And Richard was outside playing an editorial role, um, and. Um, and that first podcast, you can hear the tension as yeah, we yeah. inevitably, but gradually, I think people felt comfortable. Yeah, you know, pretty quickly. Sense of humour helps, doesn't it? I mean, Absolutely. you know, you, you need to look at the ridiculousness of of, of, of life. Of, of life, yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, as a writer, I know that life exists on a, you know, with tragedy in one room, the next room is comedy, you know, literally. So. I think that that helped to relax them. We go out and have a lunch together, buy a drink, you know, just to... Yeah. And, and, but I think the key probably was not revealing too much about the questions, so that when they came, there may be a pause or somebody might go, um, but I always knew the answers would not be prepared, the yeah. answers would be more spontaneous. Yeah. I'm sure you... No, absolutely, that absolutely. Can, I do have some people who ask for uh, can you give me a bit of a, a, a brief right. kind of how it's going to run and if that's what somebody wants absolutely fine we offered the editorial we offered the editorial um, decisions afterwards if there's anything right. that when we played about they really didn't want to um, have okay. revealed but so, there were no nobody came back yeah. fact, I think what happened was the process of doing this emboldened the guys I think that by the end of the because um, uh, one of the guys wasn't going to come up for the next Sunday because of some, some family issue sure. but he changed things and he came up again from Portsmouth or Plymouth right. to take oh, part right. wow. so I think what happened was that gradually they got bolder and braver as the, um, as the podcast went on yeah. which of course was terrific yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I do encourage everybody to go and, we'll, and obviously by at the end I'll allow you to all the social medias and where to find sure. the podcast etc um, so you begin each other with your own story but then um, you kind of very quickly allow them to take over yes um, and I just want to just for people to give a bit of a reference to the to your guests yes um, Arnett who's a teacher who came out nine years ago right 
four children married twice. Yes. Um, Alex, vegan chef, now business yeah. consultant. Now business consultant, <laughs> I know. Um, married for 27 years. Yes. Two children, and that's that's his story. Is I mean, all of their stories are fascinating. Um, yourself and you've got daughters, twenty-seven and twenty-four. That's correct. Um, and then Deep, who came out eight years ago, yes, um, and has two teenage daughters. Yeah. So kind of all sort of in a similar age bracket. They are in a similar age bracket. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, nobody with very young children. Um, yes. Do you think that's because? Do you think that's because things have changed and people have got more opportunities in marriage, or do you think that's just things have changed, haven't they? I mean, it's got to, I suppose you know, it's got to be that. Social attitudes have changed enormously. Um, well, they've changed enormously in in big cities, you mm. know, and and I'm sure that there's a gradual rolling out effect throughout the UK. Um, you know, one person I showed this to said that he felt that you know. Rainbow, he was from Manchester, and his wife, he was, he went the other way, he was keck, and then got married to um, a, 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 a woman, and she works with fostering with right. gay, and he was saying that, you know, nobody kind of bats an eyelid now over these things, but you see the point, I think I was probably the oldest one there, for me, I was at a boarding school in the 1970s, yeah. 850 boys, and coming out then would have been social suicide and probably quite physically, physically quite a risk. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm a big guy. I play rugby. I love playing rugby. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when people call me a poof, I go and beat them up. I mean, for goodness sake, go figure. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, what, so, so what age did you kind of first have a... A realization. Well, that I think that at a boarding school, inevitably, there was a certain amount of youthful experimentation. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I always remember one lad that I was kind of, you know, having kind of sex with um, suddenly said that he'd fallen in love with me, and that absolutely terrified me. Right. Because I, I wanted the experience, but I didn't want any of the kind of emotional. And I spent one half term. Uh, with my parents on a campsite caravan because we had a caravan yeah. I remember it now very distinctly being absolutely overwhelmed and agonised convinced I was gay and wondering what I would do about it because I came from, I, I'm the oldest of four boys and um, uh, my second brother is also gay and, right, um, yes. and my mother was very homophobic I mean when I say very homophobic she was probably just reflecting the general attitude towards homosexuality yeah. of the 70s. Yeah. My father, who'd been to a boarding school, mm. was far more accepting. Right. But when, my, when I got married, shortly after that, my brother came out, but in a rather unfortunate way, an ex-girlfriend basically outed him to my mother, which is awful. Uh, okay. And, um, you know, and so my, my ex-wife and I tried to mediate between my mother and my second brother, and it was all quite difficult. Mm. And I think that kind of pushed me back into the closet even more. I thought, my, by George, if this is what, what has created this kind of volcanic eruption, you know, um, then um, I can't add to that. Yeah. You know, and it's, that is something that I've thought about a lot. But yeah. certainly there was that period of time. I don't know when you came out and when you thought you were gay. I mean, yeah. the other thing was, the men that I found attractive just weren't on television. I'm like big, right, I like, right. you know, I like Barry, 
stocky guys, you know, I, and it was Larry Grayson and John Inman. And sure. I don't, I'm not, I don't want no, to, no, 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 don't no. want to, you know, um, but that but was it, wasn't, it yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and so. Yeah, the idea of a, of a, a masculinised gay man in television and film at that time was, yes. yeah. It was just, they, they were, they, they, that seemed to be the only, the only kind of option. You know, um, so, you know, obviously I'd had intense fantasies around my gym teacher who was, you know, played for oh. r- Wales rugby team or whatever, things like that. Yep. You know, so <laughs> there's a kind of, conf- there was both agonising over whether one was gay, but the confusion about who did I find attractive and maybe those kind of guys weren't available, would yeah, never be available yeah, yeah. for someone like me. Yeah. So, but that was the 70s, you know. Yeah. I went back to the school recently and of course pastoral care has changed enormously. Yeah. So I actually made a point of asking about it. And I think they have trans stu- uh, students there that they also wow, uh, found that's... ways to accommodate. So it seems to me that the social attitudes have, you know, uh, progressed enormously. But your aspect. brother, having your brother, I mean, was he, did, was he kind of, did he become a role model for you or were you no, just so different as people? I mean, we, we are very different. Uh, we are very different. He's a psychiatrist pink shrink um, and uh, he's more, more academic than I was you know um, I, I think oh gosh it's so difficult I think as the older brother you always feel slightly responsible you know I was the one who was always you know I, I had to be the responsible one looking looking out for my younger brothers um, we all went to a boarding school right. which is both a good and a bad thing in a sense of going to a boarding school isolating me from my brother. I don't have particularly strong relationships with my brother. Right. I have friends from school mm-hmm. that I've known for 45 years who I'm deeply loyal and committed to, who, in a sense, I, I share no... I have no secrets with my friends Paul and uh, Tony. Um, so, um, so a boarding school both kind of isolates you, but also you develop this us and them mentality. So when you do make good friendships, they're pretty solid, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I think that has been a good thing. Yeah. You know, it wasn't all bad, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. But in terms of, you know, what was lovely recently was that the old boys had a sort of reunion and we all met down in um, a pub in, um, uh, in, in, uh, in, in the West End in Covent Garden. And it was great to meet all these guys and be able to talk about these, my experiences and my feelings and my, what happened to me at school and to hear, they were pretty much straight, but just to hear their take on it and how, you know, and to kind of review the past in a way that um, helps to heal it, I think. Mm-hmm. But the other, on the other hand, unfortunately, six of my old schoolmasters have recently been found guilty of um, uh, sexual assault. Pupils, oh, so wow. I've had that to deal with. It's wow. that it was a very, very, very strange time, yeah, you know, and that's been quite upsetting. I think historical, these are some of these crimes go back 25 30 sure. years, but, no. but again, that's part of a general pattern. I'm guessing, now. yeah, no, um, I, I know uh, I have a, a colleague, an actor who's been through something similar recently and has had to go back and revisit um, and tell tell his stories from being at school right. um, because of situations arising and people saying right okay it let's call of, it out it, what, it, 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 what it does is it both confirms 
know, one of these masters was known at school as pedo. That was the joke. Right. He, he would do um, grace in, 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 at meals, huge hall, 800 boys, mm. bang the gavel, there'd be silence of grace. And there was always a competition to see who could shout the word pedo the loudest. So, of course, one of the boys would shout pedo, and he would stand there looking around at us all, but he couldn't do anything. Mm. I mean, it gave us a great sense of power yeah. that we could do this, we could torment this guy. Yeah. He deserved it. Well, yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah, You know, but, so, it was kind of like a blood sport as well as an open secret. And, of course, my anger is really reserved for the school, is really reserved for the fact that they... They would have known about it and colluded in some way. They would have just wanted to get rid of masters. Of course, hopefully that is less likely to happen now. So the past wow. comes back in both... that You find ways of healing the past, mm. and then there's also other things that come back that kind of surprisingly trigger you and you feel very angry about surprised yeah. Yeah. Um, geographically just because I always like to kind of sure. have an idea where so where in the world were you born and bred I was born I was born in Hertfordshire in a in a in a, in a town called Bishop Stortford oh yes and um, between London and Cambridge and I went to um, uh, sc- I went to school at a school called Christ Hospital near Horsham in Sussex oh right uh-huh. so um, I feel that I was brought up, uh, uh, my, you know, my parents brought me up to the age of 11 and then I went to school, but the school really brought me up, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Because the other thing you do is when you go away to school is you learn how to, you learn how to deceive, you learn how to, you become much more guarded and shut down, you know? I know this is a strange analogy, it's a bit like people going off to war, guys going off to war but refusing to talk about it when they come home. There's an element of that. Mm-hmm because you think you just wouldn't understand. Mm. But also you think that's what makes you special as well. It's that whole... Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit like, you know, technically I was definitely... I was talking about this only the other day. Definitely I was... Other boys picked on me. I was forced into some sexual situations that would technically be described as a sexual assault. Right, But of course, my feelings were very conflicted because part of me was excited by it. And I mean, that's another... Confused. Confused... Yeah. Aroused, excited, yeah, yeah, all yeah. of those things. So, yeah. and even to uh, admit to that in the school at the time would have been to invite the kind of attention I just didn't want. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, you know. I mean, so, so do you fa- have you found having uh, being in a space with people who are exactly the same in so many ways? Yes. Has that has that given you a chance? Do you feel you've let go of some stuff, and you know it's freed you up more? Or I mean, not necessarily that it would, but has it helped you? Has it helped me? Meeting these guys and hearing their stories, and sort of nodding at the moments that I recognise, but also acknowledging the differences. Um, and those diff- fascinating differences that make you think about your own relationship. You know, the age, range marriage comes up again, you know, deep conversation about his relationship with his wife that he met made me think more about how I met my wife and the time that we spent together before we got married. You know, we lived together, it was a classic situation. Yes, has been really eye-opening and has really broadened my understanding of other people's experience. It's maybe. It's also made me quite eager to, to talk to more people mm. and to um, 
and to hear more stories. I think telling your story and having somebody bear witness to your story is extremely important. You know, that's one of the things you learn as you grow older. You're doing it right now is being a good listener. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. being a good listener in many I think respects to, is a real quality. I think this is the beauty of your podcast, of all podcasts, actually, is that to, to, to be able to... I, I've... I would. I used to find parents listening to Radio Four intensely annoying when I was a child and yes. a teenager, and I just wanted to have Radio One or whatever it would have yes. been. But growing older and actually wanting to read and hear people's stories changes so much. I don't know why that is. Oh, I, I, got, I have one suggestion. Yeah. Somebody once said to me, "What?" Because uh, I chair the radio committee, the Writers Guild, so yeah. I go into the Radio Four and we do lots of yeah. stuff, trying to get better paying conditions for yeah, radio yeah. writers and somebody once described Radio 4 as being for the intellectually curious okay and I would ever I put on Radio 4 it may be I don't know program about crop spraying in, in Uzbekistan but I always know I'm going to learn something from it yeah. and I'm intrigued by it I think podcasts have some of the same quality so I think that a good podcast regardless of its subject will appeal to the intellectually curious mm-hmm. what's it like to be someone who thinks they may be gay or bisexual, but is in a is married to a woman? What does that feel like? What is it like to 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 come out and tell the world that in fact you know your sexuality is not as you have yeah. a, a, a portrayed it for 20, 30 years? You know, what does it feel like to be on the opposing side of that? You know, um, we all have a fear of the unknown. But fear can't stop us from trying to, to be our true, true selves. Yeah. And certainly what's interesting, once I've had children, the only really good way of demonstrating to children how to negotiate these really difficult relationship issues is by trying to model good behaviour. Mm. Now... I'm sure I've, I haven't modelled good behaviour consistently, and as I said, with respect to my children, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but I hope that there's enough acceptance, kindness, generosity, understanding, willingness, love, at the end of the day, love, that they, would, um, they might take some of that into their own lives, mm. so that whether they have to deal with some of these tough questions, other kinds of questions, but everybody has. Nobody gets, nobody gets out of you know, out of life without some scars, mm. they might be able to use that sense of what their parents did as a way forward. Do your, have your daughters listened to? They have listened to some of it, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, my oldest daughter um, has actually, who's a DJ and a producer, has allowed me to use some of her music. Oh, is that the music? Music, that's... yeah, that's that's. I was going to ask you. Yes. Oh, okay. So, oh, wow. So um, she's very talented. Yeah. Uh, my, youngest, yeah, my youngest daughter, Graduated from Art Said last year, so she's um, she's a hoof she's hoofing around auditions and has been in a couple of shows and things. I'm so, working with people from Art Said who graduated last year on a okay. show called Query. Okay, so I'm right. sure there's a connection. Yeah, there. I'm sure there is. Previous yes. podcast yes. guest was one of those people, so you have oh, to see if they see if they connect. Um, it's a small world. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? Especially. <laughs> Especially in our world. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing Panto Dame, pulling up... Pushing. Are you doing a Panto Dame as well? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. I was realised I was doing... Is this your first day? No, it's my fourth or fifth. Okay, so fourth. you obviously enjoy it. 
Oh yeah, because it's completely Bloody the opposite. Hard work, well, yes, and I mean yes, it's physically. But you're but doing what ten shows a day? It's that. Or but it's not. But to be honest with you, the 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 freedom yeah. of of it's, being it's a, drag. It's like drag, isn't it? It's, it's like armor. Like it's armor. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's that. But it's you can be. It's being a clown, and a lot of the roles that I play, I do a lot of comedy, but. Actually, it's kind of the ultimate clowning. Yes, it's kind of because there's, there's such a physical element to it. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so, I, do you know what? I love physical comedy. You know, and oh, I think yeah. that you know the very one of the funniest episodes of Frasier, which is a show that I adore, is, mm-hmm. a, is the one set on Valentine's Day when Niles is trying to iron his trousers and mm-hmm. keeps bashing his bashing his nose, and blood appears, and he faints, and then he gets up and he tries to iron. Uh-huh. It's physical. It's wordless. It's physical. It's brilliant oh absolutely absolutely fabulous yeah. there's another one there yeah absolutely learning yeah, how yeah. to fall um, <laughs> um, sorry I mean, I'm going to jump back to my questions because I've gone completely off but that's, that's alright okay. that's the way we go um, did you when you were coming out uh, when you sort of when you actually said right I'm going to tell everybody right. told your wife yeah. and then eventually told your daughters did you have it's not a role model but did you have somebody that you could refer to, somebody that you'd okay. seen, you'd read about. That okay, well, this, this I'll tell you the one thing that we did do. We went and visited a counsellor, my wife and I, ex wife and I, and talked yeah. about how we should do this. Mm. And we, um, the counsellor gave us some very good advice. For example, she said it's really important that you tell both children at the same time. If you don't, then one of them may imagine that she's been told something that the other doesn't know about. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's really important. She also said it's very important you tell them, excuse me, at the beginning of a holiday. Yeah, so that they have a prep, they, so we just told them at the beginning of the summer holiday, mm-hmm. so they have a six weeks in order to process it. And she says, they're of an age that when you tell them, they will probably want to go off and be with their friends so you need to organize that so I did warn uh, both my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter's main friends that we were planning to do, we were planning to do this at a certain time so we so I suppose what I'm saying is it's, the preparation I think is important yeah and I if anybody out there is in a similar position I would strongly urge them to try and prepare because you don't want it to come out as a sudden revelation yeah you know and I think as a, you know people always say um, you know that children are very resilient and they will you know they will they will absorb the information and process it but it still seems to me that you can create an environment in which that information is given in a concise and eloquent and clear way mm-hmm. you know we if you listen when you listen to episode 7 you will hear the, what you, the detail of what, what you went into in terms of what I said and the assurances we tried to give them that, you know, um, my ex-wife and I weren't going to split up immediately, that we were going to try and sort something out. Mm. Um, but yes, preparation That's was well, important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean it's, 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 yeah, it makes complete sense that any situation that's a big life yes. event need requires that but okay yes um and do you remember going into your first um shall we say your first dedicated lgbt 
space going into a bar or a oh that's a really good question yes. I mean my, mine was going into the lesbian and gay centre in um, Farringdon was kind of my other I'm not sure either my first or second there was the two brewers in Clapham and there was that right. I can't remember which one, which came first but right. definitely and how old were you? Um, seven 18 at the let's so say yeah, 18 at the lesbian gay centre so it was yeah so, I've been into gay pubs or gay spaces where I'd not when I had not been out, but I suppose oh, okay. what was, oh, that's so that's, that's a slightly yeah. different, yeah, to kind of see what they were like, you right. know, kind of interesting. Yeah, that I hadn't um, thought of that. But, but going into a space, uh, identifying so, as a gay man, I suppose it was the King's Arms on Poland Street, uh-huh. which was um, I went into to, um, yeah, and again I, I talk about that in the diary. I mean, it's a, you know it. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a very old-fashioned slightly kind of crusty old pub yeah yeah. Yeah. and it's a kind of berry pub Mm. um and i remember going in that and just being in that space and just did it excite you did you kind of was it yeah i I, I, you know it felt like a small but important step Mm. um and um i think i was meeting somebody there so that helped so there there was a reason to be there Mm. you know i had a very I had a friend once who said that he would go out into the park and, again, he'd be mad and he would practice saying, I'm gay, shouting it. And I think sometimes if you've been, if you've been on the kind of journey that I have, you kind of metaphorically or even literally need to go out and find a, a, an empty space and shout, I'm gay, just to hear yourself say it. Um, because the thing is, as you well know, you come out every day, don't you? See, I was listening to, yes, on, you were, I was listening to the podcast yeah. on the way here and somebody, one of your guests was saying that, you know, that they, they had to come out to their hairdresser or, yeah. and, yeah. And or, you, or at least, no, you have to make the decision whether you want to come out. You don't yeah. have to come out. And then that goes back to the whole notion of the panty, the checking oneself. Because, of yeah. course, what you're doing, I mean, 99.9 times you're in a situation in which you feel completely safe. Yeah. But, of course, we've all been in situations where we don't feel that, and so you, you're, you're making a judgment call about whether it's a good idea. And ghosts you know? from the past yeah, yeah. telling you, no, 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 no. I mean, I, this is funny that your, your guest mentioned hairdresser. I know that myself and my husband went into a barber, our local barber shop, at the same time because it was practical. And there being an awareness, it was a very kind of a real kind of machismo atmosphere. Yeah. And you know, very traditional barber, Greek barber, and hearing my partner answer questions about football, which he has no interest in, and then the same, then then my barber asking me the questions, and kind of looking at them and looking at each other in the mirror, and kind of putting it all together that oh, oh, they came in at the same time, and then kind of, I thought, do I sit and wait? Because he wasn't finished. And I went through this whole angst. Even though I'm out and proud and married, I went through a whole inner turmoil over whether I should sit in the barbers and wait. So I went and hid round the corner. As a grown man who's been it, out for, you know, however many years. That's the point. You, um, you imagine that, that you imagine that you have, and you do have a natural resilience, but I think the thing is that these things always take you by surprise, don't they? Yeah, I, yeah. suddenly. I mean, we're talking, I mean, in London, you know, Obviously, in other, if you're travelling, you, then you have to make other kinds of, of, of assessments, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Depending where you are, what, what culture you're in, what culture, what religion, you have to make 
another assessment mm. all mm -hmm. the time you're just checking yeah and as you say depending what religion you've come through or, or family background yeah. class I mean it's all part and parcel yeah. of it um, it was interesting that Arnett your guest came from Cornwall yes and um, I had few of my years were spent in North Devon in a very remote town and that part of this story of being away from even kind of youth culture and having youth culture as the only thing again becoming part of a pact becoming a new romantic then goth was was safety yeah and that story kind of coming through over and over again and then David's story and your and you've now mentioned about Bowie for yourself as well that having to do that and that recurs even now though talking to younger gay men they're, they're they're able to feel comfortable being proud about being a Lady Gaga fan it's interesting you say that because 1976 was uh, year zero because punk happened with the Sex Pistols yeah. at the same time disco happened and mm. of course at school because music tribes we were very tribal at school and we were all kind of going on about the clash and the pistols and the stranglers and all this very white male working class not with the clash of course we went to public school but all of that whereas disco was effete and made people dance and of course looking back on it now you know disco was far more um revolutionary in the way it explored gender and sexuality and race it you know and of course I've come back to that, like <laughs> every self-respecting gay man, and you know, adore, you know, that kind of music. I mean, I've seen Niles Rogers on how many times? He's a complete oh, legend. Yes. I mean, yeah, I love yeah, the Pistols yeah, yeah. as well, yeah, yeah. but they can there sit was together. A, they was they can sit together now, mm. whereas before mm. it was you either had to be one mm -hmm. so binary. You either had to be one thing or the other, and what you were, you know, and if you're into chic and sister sledge and stuff when at school, you know, you you could write Donna, you could like Donna Summer's "I Feel Love" because that was electronic, uh, you know, yeah. and that was slightly techno and boffiny, but anything else. You know, maybe it's because we're all little white middle-class boys and the idea of, you know, black New York urban R&B was, like, so extraordinary. But, you know, we all love Stevie Wonder. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so why interesting. Not Sylvester? Why, why, Sylvester, very good example. So, I mean, very good example. Couldn't get more punk. <laughs> you know, Sylvester was... That song was um, a game-changing song, you know, and and all of that. You're so right. Divine. Yeah. Divine, all of that, yeah. That's fun. And, yeah. of course, my kids now... Don't... If it's a good tune, it's a good tune. Doesn't matter yeah. like if it's Kylie or Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And they're right. They're so right. Yeah, no, They're absolutely. so right in the way that we were so wrong. Yeah. I wonder, though, if, if there may be, I feel there may be burgeoning youth cultures bubbling under with everything that's going on in the world. And I think it might be a good thing to have a. I, I kind of crave, not for myself, but for a generation to rise up and. I mean, they're doing it in the streets as we speak, which is brilliant. Yeah. But to, musically, I wonder if, and culturally, if that's. Well, in fact, happen. the last time I think that really happened over here was the rave culture. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I was, I was bringing up children then, so I was kind of watching it slightly envious. And of course, that was a bit <laughs> later. I've certainly done my fair share of raving, middle aged raving. But at the time, it did. But even then, it was very politically ambiguous because my thesis is that without Margaret Thatcher's, um, uh, what was it, the allowance, you know, that helped to create rave yeah. culture. As, you know, it's, it's more uh -huh. complex. I mean, yeah. realize, but it was. It certainly it grows had a, a kind of a kind of anti-establishment yeah. kind of energy to it. Yeah. We've kind of 
lost a bit of that, I think. Yeah, I feel it has to happen again. Like, but it will, it will do yeah, because these things do. Yeah, there's so much unrest. That you've got to let yeah. it go somehow. Yeah, whether it's musically yeah. or writing. Yes. Um, so yeah, we talked about David yes. Bowie. So for you, and let's just 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 as a as a fun thing, give me your ultimate, which is really difficult. <laughs> oh, what's the ultimate yeah, album? You see, this is, what's the ultimate for, for, album for, 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 for Bowie? From oh, I can tell you what my favourite album yeah. is. It's Hunky Dory. Okay, why is that? The songwriting's amazing. Uh-huh. Um, the arrangement, it has songs like Life on Mars and Changes on it. I don't know, it's the album I come back to. Um, you know, I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan. I'm a huge Roxy Music fan. Yeah. I'm a huge... So there are certain records, For Your Pleasure, Hajira. As you grow older, you've, you've, you, know, you end up buying the same album ten times. Oh, okay. you, give it, you buy it to give away to friends. Yeah. But if that had to be Push Goes to Charm, yeah. it'd be hunky-dory. But you know... There are some young Americans is fantastic, you know, know Station to Station, to uh, Scary Monsters, you know, uh-huh. it, it's, it's, you know, it's like Desert Island Discs, it's well, always exactly. about what's your favourite on the time, at the time, you at know, the time. you know, um, uh, uh, you know, I've so Scary of, Monsters, scary. Me, when I jumped yeah. on board, really. You see, I wasn't yeah. a Prince fan until I saw Kiss, Dim Dim Kiss, and then suddenly I had to, I had to, I had to have everything, and I'm lucky enough to see him live many times me and, too yes. and um, I went to see him at the Love Sexy tour yeah. I with my two best yes. friends and I saw Michael Jackson a week afterwards I saw Prince I screamed like a 12 year old oh, yeah, when he yeah, arrived yeah. in the Cadillac yeah the and Cadillac. it went round and Sheila E played the drums in her stilettos yes how cool you was see, that you see that was yeah. one of the best tours I think we've ever had we've had the experience baseball he was doing that yeah if you have it yes listeners go yeah. and go and find it on YouTube sure well there's a great there. and there also is a great Prince uh, Sign of the Times which was a different oh, tour yes. but a great concert yeah. video yeah. he was phenomenal live oh and there's an, there's an artist out at the moment called Janelle Monae, oh, yes. who is like, who yes. I've also also been lucky enough to see, who's like oh, his, his, you know, the bastard daughter, Prince oh. James Brown, Elvis oh, Presley, really? and she's got the whole package as well. She has, she's incredible. She, yes, Glastonbury, I've seen, I saw that set, which was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but but I don't want to keep you forever. So, so before you disappear, indeed. I think we need to get all of the details of where people can find okay. you. Um, on all your medias and all your bits Bless and pieces. You. Thank you so much. Well, we're on Twitter yep. at Rainbow Dads. Yep. We're on Instagram at The Rainbow Dads. Um, Facebook, again, Rainbow Dads. Um, and we're on Podbeam. Just put in Rainbow Dads and the um, uh, and you'll be uh, uh, quietly led through to our, <laughs> our site. Um, and I think that's everything at yeah. the moment. And I found you on um, on iTunes. I, excuse yes. me, yes, we're on iTunes yes. and Spotify so, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes, Brilliant. this is all, you see, this is this is new territory to me, so I, I feel I'm kind of slightly feeling my, my way, but no, yes. I know, and sometimes yeah. you realise you're on something, you didn't even realise that it happened somehow. Yes. It's, it's there, yes. so, uh, yes. but uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, I really, and, um, really enjoyed Yeah, chatting. yeah, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll chat on, and, and everybody go listen, um, when you finish this one, if you're on your journey, if you're doing your housework, stop, download, and start. Please do. And also, if you can share or, or, or put yes. up a review, any comments, any feedback will be really helpful. Reviews because and starring, yes. Reviews and starring help. Yes. But also, we're thinking possibly of, of new podcasts, maybe Rainbow Mums, maybe Rainbow Kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any ideas anybody might have, that would be very helpful. Mums. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Why not? Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, sir. You're welcome. Cheers. You're welcome. And that was Nicholas. What... 
great conversation that was. Um, just as a little add-on, um, apologies to uh, to everybody concerned for the um, the baby crying and uh, and people having a, a jolly good time. It was far too early in the day for that kind of behaviour. But anyway, I did try and uh, edit out as much of the background noise as I can. But um, this is the nature of live podcasting. Anyway, thanks again, gang. Spread the word. Go and listen to Rainbow Dads. And I'll be back very, very soon. Promise. Thank you.